when people around us make choices that we don't expect, the, the question we are always asking is why? Why would you make that choice? What would prompt you to do something like that? Let me give you an example. Uh, if I invited you over to my house for dinner, and you came, and my wife cooked us a wonderful meal, we ate together, and it was time for dessert, and I said, you know what, uh, for dessert tonight, we have mango. And this is not just an ordinary mango. Clarissa's relative has just come over from Indonesia. She's brought fresh mangoes for us. They're juicy, they're ripe, they're delicious. This is the greatest mangoes that money can buy. And you looked at me and you said, David, thank you uh, so much. I mean, mangoes are, are great. But I'm just wondering, like, do you have anything maybe like more like kind of like Brussels sprouts or something like that? I'd be like, what? What are you thinking? I just thought you do mangoes. Mangoes, literally the best fruit God has ever made in the whole world. And you want Brussels sprouts. Really? You want vegetables? Vegetables. Kids, vegetables are good. You should have vegetables. But vegetables, no. Brussels sprouts, mango. Mango's amazing. It's great. And if I offer you mango and you choose something else, you'd be like, what? I would be like, why? Why would you do that? What would prompt you to ever choose something like that when mango is offered to you? Why? Why is the question, and I think it's this question of why that Pilate, perhaps, it, it, he might be asking in our text today. If you haven't been with us, we, we've been walking through uh, the series of texts in John's gospel of Pilate and Jesus interacting. Pilate's been asking Jesus question after question, trying to determine whether he is innocent or guilty. We've seen Jesus talk about his kingdom is not of this world. Pilate's asked him questions about what is truth. And today we're going to see that Pilate actually determines Jesus is in fact innocent. He's not guilty of all the charges that have been brought against him. And, and yet Pilate, you know, anybody else would kind of say, okay, Jesus is innocent. Let's let him go free. But the, the question that we're asking in this series, what, what do we do with Jesus, is not one that Pilate really wants to answer. He doesn't actually want to make up his mind of actually making a decision about Jesus. And so you see that Pilate is always shifting responsibility, trying to get someone else to make the call. In Luke's gospel, we, we see that Pilate actually sent Jesus over to Herod. So Herod could make a decision about him. Herod sends him back. And so he's forced to, be, to deal with Jesus. And here again in our text, Pilate now shifts responsibility, not to Herod, but to the crowd, to those Jews who are uh, watching in the, the sidelines. He's going to make them ask the question, what will they do with Jesus. And, and he gives them an offer that he thinks is obvious, a choice that is easy, and yet uh, their response is unexpected. And, and their response should make us ask the question, why? So uh, we're going to read the passage together, and then we'll, we'll go through it. Uh, so John chapter 18, uh, verses 38 uh, to 40. We'll pick up just a little bit where we left off last week. Uh, Pilate said to him, Jesus, uh, what is truth? And after he'd said this, he, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. That is God's word to us this morning. Here we see that the crowd, 
is offered Jesus and chooses Barabbas. The question is why? Jesus was super popular with the crowds. Everybody loved Jesus. I mean, earlier in Jesus' ministry, uh, up in Galilee, he had been feeding uh, 5,000 people, which is really 15, 20,000 when you count women and children. Uh, there was tons of people. He multiplied uh, fish and loaves, and everybody was fed. And look at what it says the response of the people is. In John chapter 6, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who's come into the world. Perceiving them that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So these people are so, so excited. Jesus, he's here, he's, he's doing all this stuff. Let's make him king. Even if we need to do it by force, let's make Jesus the king. And in fact, just one week before Jesus' encounter with Pilate, uh, Jesus enters the city to a kingly kind of response as a king. Look in John chapter 12. The next day, large crowds that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. People loved him. They they wanted him to be their king. And in fact, he was so popular with the crowds that the, the Jewish leaders, the ones who wanted to kill Jesus, were so afraid of how they could go about doing this because they thought there might be a riot from the crowds. Uh, This is what Mark records in Mark 14. He says the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So so the crowds, they, they love Jesus. He's popular. Everybody likes him. And yet, they choose Barabbas. Barabbas is called a notorious prisoner. A murderer, an insurrectionist. Uh, he's not like a nice guy. He's a hardened criminal. He, he, he's most likely a part of a group that was exploiting other Jews for their own political advantages and purposes. Uh, this is not the kind of guy you want loose in your society. It's not the kind of guy you want to run into at a, at a night street in Jerusalem. And yet they still choose Barabbas, not Jesus. I mean, Jesus... You weren't worried about running into Jesus. Jesus was kind and gentle, compassionate, caring. Right? What, what compels them to do this? Why are they choosing the thing which is obviously better? Mangoes. You got Brussels sprouts. Well, why are you choosing the Brussels sprouts? Why didn't they want it? And we know the religious leaders, we know why they didn't want Jesus. It, they, were, they were envious of Jesus. Matthew's gospel tells us about that, that they were envious of Jesus and that's why they delivered him over. But why the crowds? The crowds are the ones that are really benefiting from Jesus' ministry, right? All that Jesus has ever done for them is heal their sick, feed them when they're hungry, raise up the paralytics, you know, open the eyes of the blind, teach them to live righteously. Jesus never did anything for his own benefit. He was always serving others. Always caring for others. He wasn't trying to get money, wasn't trying to get acclaim, right? Often when he would heal people, he'd tell them, go, don't go tell other people about this. It's just, I'm just trying to help you, right? Jesus was, was there serving, loving his community. And so this question, it's even asked really by Peter, the apostle, in, in, in his first sermon in Acts 3, he says, but you denied the holy and righteous one. 
and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Perfect Jesus, holy, righteous. And you wanted the murderer, the robber, the prisoner. Why? Why would you want Barabbas? Well, I think there's four reasons. Four reasons that I'm going to give you of why the crowd chose Barabbas. So if you're taking notes, the first reason is this. The influence of others. The influence of others. Uh, We see, and not in our account here in John, but in other accounts that the gospel writers give of this uh, this event, uh, that it's actually the Jewish leaders who stir up and kind of incite the crowd uh, to make them choose Barabbas. This is what Matthew uh, records in chapter 27, verse 20. He says, Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Because you have a crowd that was one week worshiping him, loving him, and the next week they're shouting crucify him. What, what changes? Well, you've got these leaders who are inciting the crowd, persuading them to choose Barabbas. I mean, you can imagine yourself kind of in the crowd. That day, Pilate kind of comes out and he says, hey, do you want me to give you Jesus? And you're there and maybe you've heard some of Jesus' teaching or you've heard things about him. You say, well, that seems like a good thing. We, we would love Jesus, actually. But there's a bunch of loud voices kind of in the back. We're like, no, Barabbas, Barabbas. And you're kind of like, that's weird. Why would they want Barabbas? But all of a sudden, those few voices kind of become more and more. They become a group. And suddenly it feels like everybody is kind of chanting it around you. Are you going to be the one to speak up and say something? No, Jesus. You know, like everybody else is going that direction. Maybe you're kind of talking to people and being like, why are you wanting Barabbas? Okay, okay, yeah, sure. Like maybe Barabbas is great. Let's go with Barabbas. And you just kind of, the momentum of the crowd kind of pushes you along. You're there. The influence of others. It's really powerful. It's really powerful in groups, not just large groups, but even small group settings. There, there was a study done a, a few years ago that really tried to look at how do, how do group dynamics influence our own choices, like what the group thinks. And so they did this study and they put 12 people in a room and they would show them uh, diagrams, kind of like you can see, I think one of them up on the screen there. They'd show them a diagram like this. They say, here's a target line and tell us which one of the lines is the same uh, length. It's C, by the way, if you're trying to figure it out. <laughs> so they say, well, tell us which line is the same. And uh, of the 12 people in the room, 11 of them were actors. They were people hired by the researchers, uh, and they had a specific purpose. Uh, they would show a series of these tests, and about half the time, uh, every one of the actors would purposely choose the wrong thing altogether. They would all say, A. And you could hear everybody else's answers, and what they wanted to see is how would the participants respond? Would they stand up and say, uh, no, it's actually C, or would they just kind of go along with the group? And when they did, did this um, kind of experiment without any of the actors there, they kind of did a control, uh, only 1% of the time people chose the wrong things. When they did the, the, the experiment with kind of 11 actors and one participant, at least one time, 75% of people went with the group. 75% of people saw that image and, and actually just went with the wrong answer. 
And the researchers found there was kind of two reasons for this. The first reason uh, was that when they talked with people afterwards, uh, people didn't want to feel left out or feel peculiar or odd or different. They wanted to fit in. Everybody was choosing it. They knew it wasn't the right answer. But they were like, I'm just going to go with everybody else. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be different. And the second reason was that people also started to think that maybe the group was better informed than them. Maybe the group was actually right. Maybe, maybe it is A. Maybe I'm just not seeing things right. And I think, to some sense, that, that seems to be happening here with the crowd. You have a crowd who loves Jesus, and yet the loudest voices, the voices crying for Barabbas, slowly change the group, and suddenly everybody's shouting it. And it's very hard to go against that. It's very hard to choose Jesus when everybody else is choosing Barabbas. But the thing is that before we're too harsh on the crowd, we actually tend to make a very similar choice ourselves. We are not every day choosing Jesus or Barabbas, but every day we are confronted with the reality of whether we will choose Jesus or we will choose sin. And, and far too often, we do not choose, choose Jesus. We, we choose sin. Why? We, we know Jesus is better. We know he's more perfect and holy and righteous, and we know his ways are good. But we still, we still choose sin. Why? Well, I think the reasons are really similar. At least one of the reasons is the influence of others, isn't it? Right? Everyone around us is doing it. Our culture is headed in a certain direction. It's saying this, these are the things that are true and right. And Jesus is saying something different and that's hard to go against. That's really hard. It's hard like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody else around you is bowing down to the golden calf and you have to stand up. That's hard. But it's not just our culture. It can just happen within our group of friends. Christian friends, right? Everybody is doing certain things that maybe we know, maybe that's not the right thing or maybe that's not the best thing. But it, once everybody's doing it, it's really hard to not choose that, to not go along with the way that everybody else is going. Right? Everybody seems to be an angry parent. So I, I think that maybe that's okay. Maybe I'm not really the problem. Right? Everybody seems to really have a problem with their prayer life. So... I guess it's okay. Everybody seems to fill in the blank. When everybody's doing it, it seems, it seems justified. It seems okay. But, but we're not supposed to take the direction for our life based on what everybody else around us is doing. We are not just supposed to follow the crowd. We're supposed to follow Jesus. We're supposed to follow what he says is right and true and good. Look at how Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, he says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. It's the crowds. Everybody's heading that way. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those that find it are few. So I know it's hard. 
I know it's hard to push back when the momentum of everyone around you is pushing you in a certain direction to fight against the tide. But yet in the end of the day, would we not much rather have the approval of God than the approval of others? Would we much not rather be you know, insulted and thought weird and thought odd and different and yet get to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant? It is easy to, to go with the crowd and yet Jesus calls us not to be influenced by the crowd, but by what he says is true and right and good. So that's the first reason. Uh, the second reason that I think the crowd chooses Barabbas is because Jesus isn't giving them uh, what they want. And we'll see that Jesus isn't giving us what we want. Uh, think about the crowd. Uh, what did they really want uh, from Jesus? What was the, the real goal that they thought Jesus could be? I mean, we saw with the feeding of the 5,000, they come and what do they want? They want Jesus to be king. They're, they're happy. Jesus is giving them the things they want. They, they wanted bread. They were hungry and Jesus gave it to them. They were hungry and he, he gave them the things. But look at how Jesus kind of rebukes their think, thinking just a, a, a few verses later. You remember Jesus, they come to take him uh, by force to make him king and he kind of escapes a little bit. He goes through the Sea of Galilee and uh, the crowd though, they follow him around the sea. The next day they find him. This is what happens in John chapter 6 uh, verse 25. Uh, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You, you, you were hungry and I fed you. You just wanted the bread. That's all you're after. You're not after what the signs were pointing towards. You're just happy that I gave you what you wanted in this moment. And he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. In that situation, they were focused on the here and now. What could Jesus give me right now? Food. Great. What else can you do for me, Jesus? And Jesus is like, the point of that miracle was not just to give you food. It was to point to the kind of bread that I am, the sustenance spiritually that I afford you. And you're missing that. You're focused on the physical when I'm trying to teach you something spiritual. And so Jesus, when, when he goes to build God's kingdom, he doesn't build it in the way that we normally think. In the way that we necessarily want him to. I mean, if you think about how Jesus would build his kingdom versus how Barabbas would be, build Jesus' kingdom, they're very different. A Barabbas, you'll see in your text in verse 40, it says he was a robber. Uh, that word robber, if you have the ESV, there's a little footnote there. You follow it down. It says, uh, or an insurrectionist. The word could be translated that way. Uh, insurrectionist, guerrilla fighter, rebel, terrorist. Here was a guy who did not like Rome and its authorities. He was probably a part of a group uh, called the Zealots, uh, who were very theologically much like the Pharisees, except they were just willing to take violent action to accomplish their purposes. They weren't going to meddle around in politics. They were going to like, let's go. Let's bring the sword. Let's take these guys down. And nobody really liked this group of people uh, because they're extreme, but also because they would exploit those around them to get what they needed. If they needed to rob people on the highway for supplies, they'd do that. If people had to be killed, okay, it's for a greater purpose. 
But when you think about the people, they may not have liked Barabbas. They may not have liked the way he was trying to do things. But deep down, what Barabbas was fighting for, his goal, it's really what the people actually wanted. They wanted Rome gone. They wanted Israel's kingdom established. And they wanted to be able to worship God the way that they wanted to. And here comes Jesus and he says, I'm not here to, you know, pick up a sword. I'm here to pick up a cross. People have been waiting. Jesus, you say you're a king. You're acting like a king. When are you going to do something like a king, Jesus? When are you going to actually take ownership? What's going to happen? You see, Jesus, you're, you're just letting yourself, this happen to you? If you're a king, do something. Barabbas, maybe he'll do something. Maybe Barabbas will give us what we actually really want. Because Barabbas is going to do things now. He's an action man. He's going to get things done. And yet for us, I think one of the reasons that we choose sin and not Jesus is the very same reason. Sin gives us what we want here and now. Right? If you think about some of the sin in, in your own life, why do you continually choose it? What's well, immediate? It's instant. There seems to be some gratification, some pleasure, some enjoyment that you get out of it right now. It's that physical comfort that we want, not the spiritual comforts. Right? We, we want the physical rest, not the eternal rest. We want the earthly riches, not the heavenly riches. We, we want the justice, vengeance now in this life, not, not the perfect justice that is to come. And so every time, every time we are confronted with the choice of, of Jesus or sin, wh why do we choose sin? It's because deep down, we actually think it's better. We think it's more satisfying. Sin seems to give us what we want right now. And in fact, sometimes we'll even want to listen to Bible teachers that will tell us that. They will tell us, you know what? If you follow Jesus, your life is going to be better. Which is true, by the way. Your life will be better, but not better in the way you think. Your life will not be better because you're going to have a better job or because you're going to make more money or because your family is going to work better because of any of those things. Your life is going to be better because you're going to be more patient. Because you're going to have more peace. Because you're going to have a sure and foundation, a uh, hope with the foundation. You're going to know Christ. That's why your life will be better. Not because you have a claim or position or anything like that. It's really exactly what Matt talked about two weeks ago, if you're here. Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. So we should be concerned with spiritual concerns. And have spiritual blessings be the things that actually satisfy us. That is, is, is the truth. The things that are spiritual are actually better. And we just need eyes to see that. Because we constantly turn to sin thinking this will satisfy us. This is better when everything Jesus offers us is in fact far greater. So that which is spiritual is better, at least for one reason, because it's far more lasting. I mean, think about it all of the pleasures that sin brings in our life, they, they quickly fade. Sex, 
food, other comforts. When you get it, it kind of only goes downhill. These things fade over time. They end. They're over. But the, the spiritual pleasures of choosing Christ and choosing holiness, they only increase. In this life, your joy in Christ only goes up. You, you, your, your peace and your hope go up, and then in eternity, they're perfect. Like, and lasting forever. I mean, think about this. If somebody came to you and they said, hey, here, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks just because I'm a nice guy. But if you wait one minute, I'll give you a million bucks. What fool would take the hundred? Wait, when a million dollars is off you, all you got to wait is a minute? Sure, no problem. I can do that. Of course. But Jesus is saying, why are you, why are you so concerned with kind of earthly hundred dollar pleasures? that sin is offering you when I'm offering you a million dollars. It's there and it's far more lasting, right? The difference between kind of the pleasures here and the pleasures that Jesus offered are far greater than a hundred dollars and a million. Eternity is far longer, far greater than our life compared to one minute. It's but a speck. And so it's true. It's true that Jesus does not give us what we want. But he gives us what we need. He gives us what we need. And our goal is, how do those things that we need, that Jesus offers, Lord, change my heart so they're the things I want. So that's the second reason. The second reason that we choose Sin instead of Jesus. Jesus isn't giving us what we want. The third reason. The third reason is that Jesus demands everything. Jesus demands everything. Uh, If you're in the crowd there, when you really get down to it, whether you like Barabbas or you don't like Barabbas, you know what? Barabbas is not really going to demand much from you. You know what? Barabbas, you know what? He might exploit you. He might cause you inconvenience because of the chaos that he causes. But Barabbas is not going to try and rule your life. He's not going to try and and take control of everything. He's not going to demand anything from you. Jesus demands everything. Jesus demands everything. I mean, Pilate presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. That that is the the term that really encompasses who Jesus is. He is a king. A a king that does not just want a little bit of your life. The Sunday mornings, the Wednesday evening community groups. He wants all of your life. All of your life to be submitted to his lordship and his kingship. Every single aspect of our life, there, there is no place that's off limits. He demands everything, not just in that, but in terms of what it means to follow him. There's nothing that Jesus cannot say, okay, follow me. You need to give up that to follow me. He demands everything. And, and his followers, the people around him, they would know this. This is what Jesus talked about all the time in his ministry. Luke chapter 9, this is what Jesus says. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross daily and follow me? There is a real sense in which when you become a follower of Christ, when you say, yes, I trust Christ for my salvation, that he has forgiven of all my sins, and you come under his lordship, your life, it's not yours anymore. You don't really belong to yourself. What you do is not just my opinion and what I think is best for me. Everything now comes unto, under, will this serve the master? What does the master say about this? My life isn't my own. That's uncomfortable. I'd be uncomfortable for this crowd because following Jesus, it means that it's actually going to cost you something. It means that there's things that are going to have to give up. No part of your life is going to be off limits. And I think for many of us, that is one of the things that hinders us from choosing Jesus. Because there are things in our lives that we say, I want Jesus, but can I keep this too? Right? Jesus, I will follow you. I'll do all the things you, you're saying, but I, I, I want to, but there's just this one thing. Or two things or three things. There's this thing that I'm holding onto that I just don't really want to let go of. And yet the truth is, whatever that thing is, we are not holding on to it. It's holding on to us. We are, in a real sense, a slave of that thing. It is the thing that is controlling us from keeping us what we ought to do. In fact, this is how the Bible often speaks of our sin as a master over us and us slaves to it. Look at Roman chapter 6. It says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? It's saying, okay, you were slaves of sin, but like what was coming from it? What was the fruit that was in your life? When you were slaves of sin, what came? Well, for the end of those things is death, destruction. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So yeah, we can be a slave to sin, but where does that lead? It to be a slave of God leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. See, the consequences of obeying a bad master or a good master are very clear. Right? To obey Jesus is good because he has good in mind for us. So we must ask ourselves, what are the things in our life where we say, I, I know the gospel. I know that, I, th- I, think, I, think, I think this is true. And I want to follow Jesus or I want to follow him more there's something that's holding me back. Something I need to give up. Something I need to do.
Jesus demands everything. But those who follow him find everything. They find true and lasting life. That's our third point. Jesus demands everything. The last final point actually has nothing to do with the crowd at all. It's not a reason why the crowd chose Barabbas. It's a reason why God allowed Barabbas to be chosen. And it's this. Uh, God gave a picture of what Jesus' death would accomplish. God gave a picture of what Jesus' death uh, would accomplish. Uh, we should ask as we read this story, why do the gospel writers include this? Like, why do they put an emphasis on the story? In John's accounts, it's only three verses. In, in the other gospel accounts, it's quite a bit longer. And it's in all of them. There's, there's lots of things that Jesus does in his ministry, and even leading up to his crucifixion, that not all four of them record. You know, John, he's the only one that tells us about this detailed conversation with Pilate. Luke is the only person who tells us that Jesus went to Herod. So there's things that they left out because they didn't feel like it was as important. You know, they've only got so much space. But all of them included this. Why did they think that this was so important to include? You could imagine kind of the story going on without telling us about Barabbas. Well, I think the reason is because they recognized that God in his providence had ordained that this would happen so that it might show one of the most wonderful realities of what Jesus' death would actually accomplish. So what is going on here? What, what is happening in this situation? Well, you have Jesus, who is the one who is declared by Pilate completely innocent. And he is sentenced to die. The one who is guilty and condemned is allowed to live. The innocent one condemned. The guilty one set free. And that is a picture of exactly what Jesus has done for us. When he went to the cross, Jesus went completely innocent and took on all of our guilt. He took on all the punishment that we deserve. So that what might happen? That we who were guilty might be in the sight of God declared to be innocent, forgiven of our sin. That we might be credited with Jesus' very righteousness, his very perfect life imbued to us, credited to our account. This is what uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. It says, for our sake, he, that is God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, so we become the righteousness of God, not in the sense of we are now uh, perfectly righteous or we were morally perfect. No, but we are given the, the status of righteous in God's eyes seen by him in light of Jesus and his life. Uh, we are poor beggars that have been clothed in this perfect righteous robe of our Savior King. It can help to think about what this would be like from Barabbas' point of view. Uh, imagine Barabbas there, he's in prison. Uh, I, I don't know if Barabbas was kind of apologetic for what he had done or not. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. We don't know. But there's one thing I, I, I'm fairly certain he was thinking about while he was in prison, and that is the death that awaited him. Because here's a man who is an insurrectionist, committed treason, which would be punishable by crucifixion. 
And he knew that in this prison, there's no court of appeals. Uh, There's no way of breaking out. Death is certain. Death is inevitable. And he's thinking, but what what is the pain going to be like when the nails go through my hands, through my feet? When I'm stuck there up on the cross, how long am I going to be able to last? How much pain can I endure? And you can imagine him there waiting and thinking about that. You know, one day the guard comes to him and says, okay, Barabbas, come on out. And he comes, his head down, hands are shackled together. He's walking as the guard leads him through. But instead of leading him to a cross, he leads him to the courtyard. Unlocks the shackles. They fall to the ground. And he says, okay, you're free. Barabbas looks over. And there on the other side of the courtyard is a man being beaten, flogged. A man who takes a cross and begins to walk up the hill towards Golgotha. Barabbas can, in a sense, say, that is my cross that he is carrying. That's my death, that he's dying. And that is true for each and every one of us because of Jesus' death. We can rightly say that the the death that Jesus died was our death. The punishment that he took on was the punishment we deserved. And we are set free. We are given that righteousness in God's eyes and in his standing. We we are innocent in the eyes of God. And, And the problem for many of us is not that we don't know this. We know this. We just don't live like that's true. Right? We we think, okay, I know that you know I've been forgiven, I'm righteous in God's eyes. But like, how can I be that? I've done so much. I've sinned so much against God. I've constantly wandered away. I constantly chose other things other than Jesus. I I can't feel like I'm actually innocent before God. But again, imagine Barabbas. Imagine if Barabbas had been set free. And then uh, the guard said, okay, you're, you're free to go. And Barabbas was like, you know what, just my sin, it's been so much. I need to go back inside the prison. You know, will you just let me go back because I just feel like I'm such a sinner. Or he said, you know what, let me go back in prison. I'll get myself a lot better. I'll kind of work myself up. I'll be a better person and then you can release me. It'd be silly. (laughs) As far as we know, he said, great, I'm free. And he's gone, right? That's what's happened to us. There's an objective reality that happened. It is not righteousness that is given to us is, is not something we internally possess. It's not some quality or character attribute that we need to work up. It is a legal declaration over us. God has said you are innocent. Right? We do not walk around, even though we are sinners, we do not walk around with the, the label sinner across our forehead. But saint innocent, righteous, right? In the sight of God, not because we are, but because of Christ. That is the status that we have actually been given. Our sin does not define us anymore. Jesus defines us. We are his and we belong to him. We wear the ID badge with Jesus' credentials on it. And so when we go and swipe at the gates of heaven, guess what? They open up. Right, not because of us, but because Jesus' credentials are the things that allow us to enter into the presence of God. Not our own works, not anything we've done, but Jesus and his righteousness. So the more that we know that, 
we will actually begin to experience freedom in our life. Because when we come to the choice of, okay, do I choose Jesus or do I choose sin? We will no longer need to feel like we need to choose Jesus to earn our righteousness. We will choose Jesus because he is our righteousness. And the more and more we see him and know that, we will be drawn ever more towards him and sin will feel ever less appealing. So choose Jesus because he is the righteous one who is righteous for us. The one who stood in our place, who died our death, and who gives us now an opportunity to enter into the presence of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have done through Christ. Because it was not and is not something we can ever do. We cannot do enough to know you, to be forgiven by you, and yet you have done everything. So Lord, help us choose Jesus. Help us to see him as the greatest good and to flee from sin because he is everything we want and need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.